welcome back to the Ramble Room. I'm Ken, and I'm here with Kathy Klein today. Kathy is a trucker, and I know that she's a trucker because she <laughs> drove a truck down here to the studio. Actually, actually, it was more of a four-wheeler, wasn't it? Yep, yep. It, We're four-wheelers, that, but my husband's the, you know, 18-wheeler. <laughs> yeah, so if, if, you, if you hear four-wheeler... Don't think an ATV or an off-road vehicle. Think more like a personally owned vehicle or a passenger car or a common pickup. Anyway, would <laughs> that was an exciting beginning. So uh, Kathy is a trucker. She's in the private trucking industry. But I will let Kathy tell you a little bit about her background and uh, her history. And then we'll kind of get into what it's like to sit behind the windshield of a big rig. So get us started. Thanks, Ken. Um, my experience, I have 35 years in the transportation industry and uh, started in 1989 in the Pacific Northwest. And I worked with uh, container freight, uh, maritime, which would take containers off of the ships that you see on rails, and they would convert them either to trucks, transportation, a truck out, or a um, on the rail system. So you're so handling those big metal boxes, connexes. We called them cans, and yeah. yes. We always called them connexes. That would be also, yep. that was our slang for what they were. And those it, in the Pacific Northwest, when you're around a port of entry, it's a little bit different than when you see in through Wyoming, we see long rail lines with all these stacked uh, containers on them. And that that's what I, I primarily worked in a transitional thing for Sealand. And Sealand no longer is Sealand anymore, but it's like Maersk. It's these big container freights and, yeah. and that. So all of the freight went three ways. It went maritime, rail, to truck. So that was my experience, and um, then my husband and I, just, he's been in it for 40 years. He's been a CDL certified trucker for many years, starting at a young age. So, And we decided to move to Wyoming for great opportunities to be in as an independent trucking company in Wyoming. So we started out with uh, cattle hauling. And we saw the market changing because we are not an interstate or intrastate, which is in Wyoming only. We're interstate truckers. That means we go all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so that's primarily what we did with cattle. And then we saw the market, like I said, shifting. And we decided to get into flatbed so I could dispatch and we could have more independent control over our business. And these flatbeds would haul all different types of freight, or do you kind of specialize in a certain field? We are Wyoming commodity, bentonite. We bring lumber. We be, bring building material to Wyoming from um, the Pacific Northwest. We go in and bring pipe back from Texas. So we're basically functioning in bringing commodities that Wyoming needs mm -hmm. at this particular time for our big box stores like Home Depot and a lot of Menards. 
um, that's in the uh, building material. And but the bentonite okay. is we all ha- and other mining products. The, so those what I, I would imagine are more leaving the state. So mm-hmm. you maybe haul a load of bentonite out of here and then bring back a load of lumber, trying to to make it pay both ways. Uh, that's what flatbeds do. Yeah. yeah, flatbed trucks don't run. Cattle hauling it gets paid on an all around. Right. Flatbed and uh, box vans they get paid for each direction. They go they. That truck has to make money in both directions. It has so, to yeah. go there so, and make money coming back. So your job as a dispatcher is try to pick up a load at wherever you're going, coordinate things with as, as few empty bobtail miles as possible. That you are okay. on the exact same language. No okay. deadheading, which means empty miles. Right. And we don't do any bobtailing because we own our own trailer. <clears throat> there mm-hmm. are operations which they you will see and a lot of public will see this too, where they'll see a truck, which you're referring to as bobtailing, that will go with just the tractor. And what they're doing is they're in a different type of operation, mainly in van hauling commodities like groceries or anything that goes in a box van or refrigeration truck. They do what they have an operation called a hook and drop. Yeah. So you you don't have that just. For the listeners, I was in logistics in the military. I was uh, a motor sergeant, which is effectively the same sort of thing that that you're doing, at least in part. But we had trailers stuck in little nooks and crannies all over the theater. So, you know, you might drop off one and then run over here, grab another trailer, pick it up. And you don't necessarily have that advantage. Um, Completely understandable. You don't have a multi-billion dollar budget. Well, that with there are operations like Old Dominion and a oh, lot yeah. of companies that yeah. are specifically and Amazon, mm-hmm. they're hook and drop yeah. operations and and Amazon actually, believe it or not, they hire contract they contract to uh, owner operators mm-hmm. also, and but that is what we call the bobtailing interstate. But and they do where they have different types. They have team. Uh, because those, if you're running a team, both are CDL certified drivers, and if you're running a team, then you're never stopping, right? Because you can alternate, and that's how they get their freight to you faster. So, what's that like if you're driving and not necessarily never stopping, but just give us a little bit of an idea what what the life of an over the road trucker is like? It's not as glamorous as they look, see in Smokey and the Bandit. I can tell you that. Aww. It's a lot of empty, lonely miles in between. And it's it's a lot of um, rushing to get where you have to go in a safe way. But you're only required through the federal motor carriers. You have what they call electronic log books now. And you have only a certain amount of time, and then they make us take rest. But when they changed it into the electronic logbook, they took more of our ability to be professionals and know when to stop and what we need and how much we need to stop. But now they're rushing us through these cities and these scenarios where we have to be more rushed through towns and you'll see a lot of because your hours you're running on a a clock yeah let's let's say you're running on that clock and you get to a 
port of entry or a way station or whatever that mandatory stuff you have to do and it's backed up so the clock is ticking and you're sitting there frustrated because you got to get your your load done um i can i can picture a number of scenarios like that that would it would be a little bit irritating and a little bit frustrating uh, if you sat there for a long time and got a little bit of rest it seems like you ought to be able to drive a little farther at the other end and that's what we used to do yeah uh but now that people don't understand when they did that switch they they took control of that putting the on-duty off-duty criteria that's what changed it so they're they're talking in the federal motor carriers and all the transportation is this driver fatigue the driver fatigue is that you're sitting either at not at the port of entry so much uh, because honestly, the port of entries do a really phenomenal job weighing you in and getting you through. We have a device which is called a pre-pass that will monitor our trucks and roll us through in you know a lot of the ports, and they maintain our status. And they, I mean, there's a lot of monitoring, mm-hmm. and I think that's what people don't realize is the overreach and the monitor. We are so severely monitored. And they track us. Now they are tracking on load people that we get loads from. They want to put a tracking device on us now. Now Wyoming is talking about putting tracking devices on certain, you know, trailers and that. So So we're we're really overreached. They know where we are. mm -hmm. They know where we are at every given time. They now have control where they know. It's not like we were hiding from before. Right. But they know where we are. Once, so. you're, once you're in the system, they've got you. You're you're pretty well tracked, um, and technology will only be stronger. One of the things that is frustrating, I know, to a lot of folks I've talked to, is the people that make these arbitrary regulations on you don't have the experience of actually doing the job and understanding the pressures, understanding what really happens there it's it's very easy in in my case for example to sit behind the dais at a committee meeting and say this is the way it ought to be and not really know what's what's changed or what's going on so tell us a little bit about what's changed in wyoming recently Um, what makes it difficult to be a trucker in this state it makes it difficult to be uh the fact that is Intrastate truckers are, they have more of an ear to uh, our representatives. And thank you very much for, you're the first representative that honestly has given me this opportunity to speak out. And a lot of truckers are scared that when they do, this is a, this is a proven fact that when they do speak out, retaliative measures of fear there is always that. We saw that in Canada, you know, what happened to the truckers. And there are a lot of veterans that get into trucking because, you know, this is an opportunity for them to have their own businesses and mm-hmm. VA that it's great opportunities. But then we also are afraid to speak up. And so, you know, because we don't know what's going to happen on the other side. Sure. They don't understand what's going to happen on, you know, and so they make all these 
these overreach regulations, and that's the that's the retaliative thing. Give me a couple examples of overreached regulation, if you would. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Put you on the spot. Do you want federal or do you want state? Let's, let's stick more with state, uh, with things that we can actually affect more readily. Yeah, because the state really, I I feel at this particular time there are two bills that I'm really concerned about, and the one is on it. I feel it's an overreach at this time. It's the uh, bill um, HB um, O. Oh, 08, I believe that's it. And that is on the age of driving. And it's not, we're going to go into a dialogue of that. And I know there's going to be a lot of people interstate and intrastate that are going to be knocking our heads in a little bit. And driver shortage and retention. That's the biggest frustration. Okay. Give, us, give us just a brief overview of what House Bill 8 purports to do or what it would propose to do. They want to... Um, briefly give an 18-year-old right out of a community college or a school a hazardous a hazmat endorsement. Um, they're not talking about experience. They're talking about right out of, I call it right out of the chute, uh, being educated in these quick trained schools now that we have. And it's not just community colleges, but there are trucking, big trucking mega corps, we call them, in mm-hmm. the trucking industry, and they give them the quickest training. So let's let's take this one step at a time. That's kind of how we eat an elephant around here. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned right out of school. Tell us about those schools, how they operate. I would assume that they probably get paid for graduating a certain number of people. So the more people they can crank out, the more they get paid. Um, in your estimation, as somebody with 30-some years of experience, how did you start when you were six? Is that it? Not Four? me. That would be my husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, see, I'm, I'm, I'm fishing for any, for any benefit I get. A woman of my age doesn't disclose her actual age, Ken. <laughs> my, mother would always, my mother would always lie. She would, she would say, I'm 25. Like, <laughs> She would say ten or twelve years older than she was, and people She's oh, a wise you look woman. Hey, we have wandered away. But, but back back to the schools. What's your impression of these schools? Are they doing a good job? Are they actually preparing people to go out and do the job? And that would be a big fat no. They, okay. There's such a failure, and that's what's breaking down from the time when we first started in the '80s in transportation. There was such a different type and caliber of trucking, interstate truckers, and even intrastate trucking. I don't think there was such a divide. Uh, There was more of a camaraderie of professionalism. Um, And, you know, what you saw back then was a lot of what they made movies on. You know, we had CB radios. We did constant communication we would help each other out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was just, you would you would be able to sit down in a restaurant when you ate and you would just be in with your group. It's, it's professional, such a difference in professionalism and trucking. Okay. Now, you as an independent owner-operator have a number of drivers out there and let's say 
let's just say for the sake of argument that this bill did pass and that 18-year-olds are now allowed to drive that. You still have discretion, though, as an owner-operator about who you put in there. You're not required to give these routes to these kids. No, that is correct. Okay. And I'll elaborate on that. We wouldn't. Um, I... I, I don't think that they have the, we, it's not a, I don't think, we know for a fact that they do not have the skill sets to evolve, to be in that type of a specialty for hazmat. Hazmat is a specialty. You're taking a 80,000 pound truck with a bomb strapped on you. Basically. I've done that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Literally. It's very nerve-wracking, isn't it? Yeah. So what these schools don't do is they don't provide them with the skill training of when they they basically give them basic training, I mean minimal, <laughs> and throw them out there. Some of these big mega companies, they don't even provide chains for these guys. We've actually, my husband has helped, helped truckers come off the Bighorn Mountain coming over and they don't realize that they're not supposed to come down that bighorn mountain. We did, yeah, we just heard a year or so ago that somebody following his navigation thing tried to go down into Crazy Woman Canyon yeah. with a rig and took quite a while to extricate him. So I So those are the things like when 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 most of the what we're seeing here a lot of seasonal aspects of during this time of the year which Wyoming weather is uh, is very challenging. And I will give you an explanation of different mountain ranges. It's not like my husband has been driving mountain ranges forever. You know, ever since he's had a CDL, he got trained in, and a lot of, they don't teach that. They don't even teach them how mm -hmm. to go up grades and down grades there. If they're trained down in Arizona, or Texas, right. which most of these schools and that are in the low flatland states, they don't have any experience for high mountain climbing. We ran into a similar situation in the winters in southern Germany. There's a lot of black ice. And we had a lot of our people came from the southern United States and really weren't used to ice. Although for a, for a truck driver down there, they, they do run into black ice. Mm -hmm. But... We're, we're talking kids that, pretty much like you've been described, went through an army version of driver's training, and they would get over to Europe, and they really hadn't, they hadn't got the, the hours behind the windshield, didn't have the understanding of exactly what it was they were doing. So we took about a three-acre area and flooded it and let it freeze over with ice and then loaded up a 40-foot trailer and told them to go out and drive there and deliberately jackknife it and videoed it. And the interesting thing about it was the, the people that did that experiment realized that by the time you know you're in trouble, it's too late. It's too late. It's, it's done. And so it has to be something that's calibrated beforehand. So I certainly understand your side of the issue. Um, on the other hand... And here's my point, and just for the for the sake of uh, putting all the cards on the table, you and I aren't necessarily on the same side of this bill. I I look at this as liberty f 
for the intrastate owner operator. There may be some owner operators, and I believe it is the case that there are some in Crook County that are delivering propane, I think was the issue. And they have some old farm kids that have been driving there six, eight years old that are pretty good hands. And they're just saying, look, we seem to have a shortage here. We'd like to be able to let these kids drive. We as owner operators are responsible for these loads. Our insurance company is responsible for these loads. If we're good for it, then, then perhaps you guys could be too. So to me, this bill is more about giving the liberty and the discretion to the owner-operators to give them the ability to use somebody that is qualified, albeit that qualified youngster, as we'll call them, uh, they're probably pretty rare. They are very rare. And I understand because that's when we had that meeting in uh on the port issue, when I was mm -hmm. with all of the locals, I had that conversation with just the person you're talking about, and and they scolded me, and I was the only interstate person there, and I told them, I said, you guys, I started out in you know with farm equipment, and you got farm licensing at 16 years of age, and yeah, we're agricultural kids are quite unique about running equipment. Yeah, you know, I I, I was there. We lived in a big, huge farming community. My kids grew up in a farming community in Lincoln County, Washington. That is the third largest agricultural for wheat production in the United States is in that Lincoln County area. So w my kids learned all of that. But we're not talking about the general public of how many people are going to have to fulfill these spots because I know they what they want for in in the state of Wyoming but we've got laws on the books already we've already got laws on the books through the federal motor carrier registration that supersede over Wyoming's CDL because they have to follow the CDL requirements by the federal government okay and the federal government says that equipment wise and mentality-wise, it's got to be 21 years of age for a hazmat. Okay, I, I do see your point. And there's a but, reason why. Yeah. Um, let's take one step at a time. Do you think everybody at the age of 21 is ready? No. Okay, and that's, that's kind of my point. People mature at different rates. Yes. Their skill rates are developed at different rates. And there has to be, in my mind some discretion or flexibility for the owner-operator to be able to determine what they deem as, a, as an acceptable risk. Now, I do understand that if we put, they like to use the term guardrails, if we put guardrails on this and, and limit, we're just not going to have any 18-year-old kids. Um, there is an argument for that. I'll grant that. I happen to not be as persuaded by it, and one of the reasons is having been a the effectively an owner operator in Europe mm -hmm. as a motor sergeant there. Some of my best drivers were fairly young. Some of my older drivers had gotten, frankly, a little bit cocky and careless. And we have that too, yeah. super truckers, yeah. we call yeah. them. Yeah. And so the person who is doing the dispatching, the person that is putting the driver in that vehicle, has a tremendous amount of responsibility to know the capabilities, 
of who's driving that vehicle and their limitations as well. And I'm trying to get people who know nothing about this industry out of the picture of trying to make rules and regulations. I'm actually trying to free you guys up to do business the way you know best and not try to sit behind a desk somewhere and tell you it ought to be this way, it ought to be that way, and pile up regulations on you. And I hope that even if you disagree with my my idea on this specific, that you can appreciate the fact that I'm trying to give you some liberty. I do appreciate that, and that's why I'm here with you openly talking about and never really, I mean, we've spoken not in an open mic aspect because you know <laughs> me. Yes. Um, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to bow away and, and soften the blow when because I've been out there on the road mm-hmm. and I've seen the tragedies and I've seen fatalities. And my husband was in a wreck, our first wreck after all the years, driving a mountain pass, and the kid fell asleep yep. at the wheel. And he crossed straight in front of my husband. Mm-hmm. And you don't, where do you go? There's nowhere you go. He had to take that kid out. And that is a thing that you have to live with. He survived, but he saved 10 cars back and seven cars forward with his experience in driving. Yeah. But so, we, we don't, we, we don't get, what we don't get in the schools, I'm going to kind of circle the wagon back on that. Yeah, I want to come back to a couple things there too. One so of the ahead. things that I appreciate your experience in the military, is there something that I want to give you kind of a scenario aspect of is that when you're in the military and you're in hauling what you do, you have a platoon and you have a camaraderie of group together. When you're in an 18-wheeler, you're out there by yourself going to point A to point B, destination to origin, Mm -hmm. origin to destination, back and forth. You haven't got that camaraderie that when you're broke down on the side of the road it's just you you have to know mechanics you have to know how to get yourself in and out off the road safely there's so much more that they don't teach you in these schools that there's not that camaraderie there like a platoon so when you mature and take your military training they give you the military gives you the best training you could ever have that's why those VA drivers are the best drivers you could ever put in a truck because they've been there. Mm-hmm. They've done their time. We're getting to, we're calling it speed education. They're in two months, Ken, two months in these schools and they're out yeah. and thrown in an 18-wheeler with 80,000 pounds of whatever this yep. on them. And I will certainly agree with you there. They are not ready after that kind of preparation and no owner-operator in his right mind would ever put one of those in a situation like like we're describing. But um, the mega truckers are. The you, mega corps are. That's what they're training them. Swift right. is doing them. They've created this market. So you, you started to bring up something else, too, and, and we kind of swerved away from it, but I want to come back to that. You were talking about the development of an 18-year-old, and I hate to use the word child, but Maybe youngster is appropriate, but they're not adults yet. And a 21-year-old in the process. And you you began to make the contention that they weren't developed to that point 
Would you care to elaborate on that a little bit? I think that there's maturity levels at every stage of maturity uh, for, now I'm talking about interstate because a lot of these companies that are going to be, like you were talking about, propane, fuel, and all of that are local around here. They're screaming for the opportunity to train somebody. Fine, that's great. If their insurance allows that, which at this particular time, their insurance companies are not because 18-year-olds in the article from this year, uh, February on 2024, owner-operator, OOIDA, um, is stated that there's not the maturity level for that to put them in that you're kind of basically setting up for failure that when they do get down through that mountain pass with, you know, propane or or fuel Mm -hmm. they're going through wyoming's treacherous mountain situations and scenarios now if their insurance like i said if their insurance company is saying yeah but it's not we sat in that meeting and we had those insurance uh adjusters in there or the companies in there and said they're not ready for that even now that's honest so if you're an owner-operator and your insurance company says no dice, it doesn't really matter what the government right. says. So, so why? Yeah. So this is where I'm trying to say, we in this industry know that it's not a driver shortage; it's a driver retaining the skills. The retention is where 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 the skill sat. You know the problem is, it's the retaining the people that actually are those exceptionals if they're young. That's not stating the fact that they cannot be in a big rig. Mm -hmm. They could get their license at 18. Nobody's saying they can't get a license at 18. It CDLs, you can get a permit. You can be under a um, seasoned driver and have a permit and learn. My husband, that's what they used to do back then. The schools were uh, six-month schools, and they had to apprentice after they graduated they had to run with a seasoned driver for another six months to a year through the companies takes you through the seasons through the yes through exactly the and he issues we we didn't live in wyoming and dean my husband can tell you his first experience for driving through wyoming <laughs> and it was his first experiencing uh experience going through ground blizzards we've never seen majority of all these trucks that come in across i-80 they've never experienced what a ground blizzard is yeah we'd never experienced a sandstorm either that's what, and we <laughs> did in eastern terrifying. washington and yeah. that is terrifying but you yeah. see when you bring in that whole thing you're bringing in that whole you're not just in Wyoming. When when you're a trucker, there are going to be times that even the the local boys have to go outside of their range, their, their comfort zone, so to That's speak. That's right. Let's let's kind of shift gears, so to speak. See what I did there? Ooh. Yeah, I like that. Um, are we are we gearing up or splitting the the shift? We're probably split shifting because <laughs> uh, we haven't replaced the clutch discs in a while. So. <laughs> we don't we want to drive with clutches yeah don't we want to save that? what skin <laughs> the army doesn't anymore either and i think it was really bad that they got away from that but let's let's talk a little bit about the specifics of driving in 
in Wyoming. There are challenges on I-80, obviously, and other places. But you have mentioned something about when we were talking about the idea of, you know, what's it like sitting in that cab for hour after hour? Okay, now you need some rest. Where do you go? You drive off into Casey and stop there. Um, what what are the amenities like across the state? What issues do you see? Take it, it from there. It's the most deploying <laughs> amenities. Lack of uh, the federal motor carriers and the federal government. I would say probably about eight or ten years ago, they they knew that this is an ongoing problem. That parking shortages and uh, lack of amenities. Wyoming has a lot of what they call turnouts. Um, they turn out and you'll see them and they'll have just, uh, you know, nice little turnouts in the road. And yeah, in the win- in the summertime, those are not bad. It helps with that fatigue. But when your mandatory clock tells you on the ELD that you have a mandatory time that you must take and that truck has to shut down for an hour, Mm -hmm. that truck has to shut down for an hour. Otherwise, it throws in a violation across. So when he crosses the state in the next port of entry, they already know that he's in violation. So big penalties. Now that's one of the things that with the, again, Wyoming is trying to put in higher penalties for blowover. We'll go back to that. Um, We don't need any more of those penalties and that. And driving down the road in a bad condition. I've been on I-80 in coming off Elk Mountain with my husband. And I have to tell you, there's my side of the truck in the passenger jump seat, there are some pretty darn good grip marks. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they call it a jump seat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you to wait till the last second and jump. <laughs> I, so, I honestly <clears throat> can tell you from the inside out how frightening it can be. And I, I give every bit of respect to every driver that has to be in paying attention. But there's no communication in those cabs of the... We have a CB still. We still run with a sure. CB. But these big mega corps don't allow uh, CBs in the tr- in the truck, and I know during some YDOT meetings that a lot of uh, representatives and that and said that they wanted to make that mandatory that when they came through Wyoming that they were hooked up to their own communications. Again, overreach. You're spending a lot of money for something that that first of all fmcsa now describes that as distracted driving Mm -hmm. and if they catch us you know with a phone in our hand or any of that perhaps maybe they're getting weather situations satellite and we do we run with getting weather i run it my husband gets it but we, that's that's all dependent on devices. technology. Yeah, that's all dependent on technology, which a, a CB radio is as well. But instead of asking someone who's sitting behind a radar desk, maybe in an entirely different state, and taking reports with a CB, you may talk to somebody who you just saw go the other way, and so you 
you hail him on the CB, what did you see the last five miles? What's it like coming off of Elk Mountain? That's right. And, and have that conversation. If you're new to an area, you don't necessarily know where to go, say, hey, i got to shut her down here in the next hour or so. Can you recommend a place where I can where I can stay? That's what the old-timers, we did. And And that's that camaraderie that you're talking about. We did, and we did very well with that. But they've taken that out, and they now consider that technology distractive driving. It's not distractive driving. When you watch the horrible videos of the pileups, what is the first thing that you see is that they have no idea what's coming down that's stopped in front of them. Mm -hmm. They don't know that there's another, that there is a trigger, a, a train of wrecked vehicles there. They don't know that. They have no idea. Yep. And what do you see? Collision, pileup, at high-speed collision after collision, right? That, that and, and I'm not saying all of that is that, but 90%, I would say, is lack of communication, of being hailed ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're I, talking local communication. People are actually right there. Right. Not somebody sitting there relying on technology or some sort of a system to send out an alert. Um, 511 in Wyoming doesn't give you that. Yeah. 511 is not. And by the time they get an alert out late. or anybody gets an alert out. It's delayed. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's already a serious issue. I can remember driving the Autobahn in Germany, and you'd be hooking along at a pretty good pace. I won't necessarily say how fast, but about as fast as I could possibly go. <laughs> Come over a rise and you'd see what they call a stow, which it looks like a big parking lot. Because you're not communicating with the people around you. But if you have locals around who are ahead of you, behind you, and as you're traveling, that kind of creates what you alluded to earlier with the platoon effect. Yeah. Is now you now you naturally gravitate to you know that somebody is a, a mile or two ahead of you, you've been chatting back and forth. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, sometimes that is the opposite of distracted. Sometimes that helps a lot. That's right. It's time somebody to pay attention to. They are bringing back that whole scenario of platooning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's basically under the word now as uh, uh, speed reducer. And I honestly am not for speed reducers. And the reason why is, it, and again, if you've not said in the truck, it looks good on paper, but if you have not, you're you're not behind the wheel. Somebody that has a, uh, we call them governors at 65 miles an hour, who doesn't have the horsepower to climb that mountain, your cause and we're platooning. Yeah, there isn't going to be if if he's not qualified, he loses his brakes because he's riding his brakes on a downgrade. Mm-hmm. What do you have? You have a wipeout platooning situation, so yeah. nobody can get away from that. So even in Wyoming, I know they were talking about lane sw- switching as far as <clears throat> the minimum amount of uh, the time that that other truck can go off into the left lane mm-hmm. to pass. And and they if they don't have if they've got a governor on there that they can't go past sixty. Now they want to reduce it to from sixty five to sixty. Yeah. We can't get that momentum to build to climb. Correct. And I know that that's what people. I've I've been in with, in vehicles, cars going to Billings, and and I've had 
people that don't understand that. They say, oh my gosh, he's speeding up. He's racing me. They think he's got road rage. No, that's not even what he is doing. What he is doing is building his momentum to speed up so he can make those gears to get to that grade. So he's got you in the side window mirror watching you slingshot around him, but he's watching all of his mirrors around you, and he's building that momentum to get up that grade to safely get to the top because he's going to lose maximum speed. And you've seen they can be going... 60, 70 miles an hour, and by the time they hit that one grade level, they're down to what? 35, 25, maybe. maybe. But on when the they load, hit yeah. the peak of the grade, they're at a five-mile five yeah. crawl. So we used, to, we used to pull, the, back in the days when I was there, we had stick shifts, which did split shift. Um, we had a throttle cable on the dashboard, <laughs> and the engines were governed. Mm. So when you got in the truck, you would pull that throttle all the way out, and leave it there. You didn't even use the, the gas pedal, so to speak. And you'd be coming down a hill, and you would get every bit of speed that you possibly could because when you come up the other side of it on the next hill, you're going to slow mm-hmm. way down. And if what invariably seemed to happen was some little car would come slingshot around you and then get in front of you and slow down. That's what they do. <laughs> and, exactly. And it just... It, and it's also if you're coming to a hard stop is is really scary. Okay, so that's the other thing I'm glad you brought up because you know in Montana has a great program that I really supported. I thought that was was the greatest idea that they could have ever done. They took young drivers in driver's ed, you know, high school, junior high, high school, and they put them in the scenario of the semi truck, what it looked like. Mm-hmm. when they did that and and that and so they got they got scared because they saw when they do that and there's another thing that a lot of cars do they call it drafting which is totally illegal and what that means is that they ride on the draft of the truck's vacuum of the yeah momentum and the driver can't see you and we cannot see you when yep. you're back up on the back side of us because you're always chronically in a blind spot mm-hmm. now Wyoming State Patrol, I have to tell you, pulled somebody over on I-80 when they were drafting behind my husband. And they're pretty, they're, our patrolmen are pretty on it. Mm-hmm. And it was coming off Elk Mountain. Yeah. And so I have to honestly say that they do, our state patrol are are pretty respectful to our, our truckers out here in on the interstate. Now, I know that they're, one of the things that we, we talked about, and I'm glad that we're bringing this up, was the truck, the state patrol. Um, they they brought up the fact when we were in about. Um, I'm gonna kind of circle back to it, the skill set level on I-80, and they had testimony from former Highway Patrol Dave Lanford Lankford. Mm-hmm. One of the things he made about plow driving, you know, the retaining of they can't keep plow drivers. And he said it's the decline in trucker skills over the years he's encountered. He's the drivers who struggle with basic tasks like putting chains on. That's number one. They don't teach in school. And they are located outside of the Western states. And they can't even put basic chains on. Mm-hmm. So that's 
we're in a mountainous state. Yeah, most most of the drivers' schools in Texas are not going to prepare somebody to drive on terrain that they don't have. Well, I don't think no. that people realize, too, that these big mega companies, they don't even, we pack chains, they don't even pack chains. Right. They have rental spots that they hit pit stops, that, that the truck stops that they rent in between. Colorado has now got a new bill I just pulled up that they are actually making that illegal. They must carry chains. And we have laws that state in Colorado, it's September 1st, they must have they they gave exemptions to these megacorps. Mm-hmm. Now they're retracting that back because of that fatality, that horrible fatality on I-70. Runaway truck, you know, that's the other thing. We don't have runaway enough runaway truck uh, on I-80. There's not a lot of runaway truck ramps on I-80. No, there's really no place to go. And, and when it gets to be, especially after they, they've had a, the highway closed for a while, Mm-hmm. And then they open it up, and it kind of looks like the beginning of of a NASCAR race. Oh yeah! <laughs> and you got all these trucks out there, bumper to bumper, trying to catch up and and make time. Well, the when when we they did we I I guess we're gonna circle a little bit about they did put a turnout with no amenities on the parking yeah, issue. Yeah, talk about that. I don't particularly think, and I've talked to so many truckers, they're not gonna use it. And the reason why is they have no idea in minus 28 or when it's cold up here, a, a truck will gel up and it takes, it, it, you have to be put in a shop to get that truck, you know, thought out. Yep. So when you get in there, I don't know if somebody could imagine being in a vehicle with no food limited food, limited water, no bathrooms, and out in a blizzard with no way to bury your, get yourself out of a parking lot, an open parking lot. With no other amenities. With no amenities around. So whatever they did, whatever they spent building that parking lot is basically wasted because nobody's going to use it. They would have done with what they put in there I think they're allocating for another one in Casper, the same thing, but the total be like 30 some million dollars. Mm-hmm. And they took federal money and then they did a, like a $27 million match for Wyoming out of our general fund. They're not going to use it. Uh, it. It's the most frightening thing to be isolated. <laughs> you might as well put us out on the Alaska tundra. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've been in that situation, so I understand what you're saying. There are no easy answers. There certainly are no inexpensive or cheap answers. No. And you know very well that I'm very conservative, and I don't like to spend money, especially government money. But there are certain things that the government is supposed to do, and if you're going to do a job, you should do the job right. And... We, we spend so many millions of dollars, and I'm off on a little bit of a tangent here, but we spend so many millions of dollars doing things that government has no business whatsoever to do. And the things that we ought to do, we tend to walk away from. We were looking at a, a piece of paper beforehand that I'll just throw this out here. Um, I went back and looked at the budgets for Wyoming from 2012 all the way through this coming one that we're going to be discussing here starting next week 
So in 2012, the Department of Transportation had a $270 million state budget. Now, that's only a portion of their entire budget because there's a lot of federal money mm -hmm. there as well. But the DOT, the Department of Transportation, is one of the primary functions of a government right. is to be able to provide that infrastructure and safe. So in 2012, it was $270.3 million. Today... With all the inflation and all the other things that are affecting everybody else, the state portion is $250 million. That is a $20 million cut. Everything else, it appears, well, not everything else, the DEQ took an even harder cut at $26 million. But almost everything else has gone up exponentially. The Department of Health, for example, in 2012, $930 million dollars. Today, $2.3 What are we doing? Okay, I'll get off of my soapbox. But, no. but I wanted to throw that out. You know, that, that throwout... I'm gonna, that throwout affects transportation. You're talking about federal highways, federal commerce. What comes in and what goes out affects Wyoming. And I can tell you the scenario that's happening right now today. Because of this budget cut, they're not maintaining infrastructure. Truckers pay it. We pay it through IFTA. They say it's never enough. Right. They're never enough. They want to raise it. They want to raise it. Okay, take just a second and explain IFTA very briefly. International fuel. That's our fuel tax. It's not just our fuel tax. It's what they will come after everybody for fuel tax. So it's for gasoline and diesel yep. and other uh, liquid gas and stuff like that. You know, they, there is taxations on different fuels. Right. So but if, you're, mainly if, for if us. you're a trucker, whenever you stop and fuel, regardless of where you fuel, mm -hmm. that tax is collected. And then it's distributed according to the route that you took. So Each. you may not even buy fuel in Wyoming, but Wyoming will receive a benefit. So I just wanted to put yes, that on Yes, and I have to tell you in all honesty, Wyoming is w getting up there with some of the top states that has the highest fuel tax yeah and one of the so they're they're receiving money in and they're now actually bringing it into the general fund so the general fund like you spoke most of our road infrastructure taxes that are coming from the ifta program is going into other programs it's not going to roads now every trucker will tell you they don't mind paying their share you know, they they always accuse us of complaining mm -hmm. and, and that. But, you know, we just got hit, with, and we are still hit, with the highest diesel fuel. In You try operating in with 5 and $6 fuel. Right now, when we go through Wyoming, there's pockets of Wyoming that are out in the I-80 corridor. Cheyenne was really low because just when I was looking for the load, yeah, it's down in the city aspect of there. But you get out in the other places like Little America and, and out towards that truck stop out there, they are in going into the four uh, Rock Springs, $4.65 for diesel. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no place to <laughs> fuel up when you get to some of these places. You have no choice then to hit some of these. But we try to... we're. 
we're juggling the weather, fuel prices, and load reduction. You mentioned when we were talking the other day in, in setting this up that truckers and truckers associations are beginning to advise people to avoid Wyoming. Why is that? It's actually our uh, DOT director, and they actually put it on the boards and that they're diverting um, Utah, state of Utah and Montana and Colorado are now kind of in a little words of, uh, I would say, uh, not playing nice together in as far as the words of we're in the business of shutting down. Wyoming is getting the reputation of closing their highways, and they're telling the drivers to divert. They're actually, this week, they got snow down there, and of course they had, you know, black ice and all. I get all the updates because I'm on their dispatch. I get notified, and I, I understand that. But they're not using the products, and they're not, they don't have the plow drivers. And whatever their scenario is, they, they find it easier to shut commerce down and shut the interstate down than let these trucks pass through. So they're holding them back. And it was 30 degrees out, and my husband was going uh, around. And I think there's a, there's a local truckers know how to get right. moving still. Right. And they know where to go. And, and I'm not saying we're jumping or we're not doing anything illegal, but we're, we're, we know how to get around our state. And that's the aspect of being good mm-hmm. infrastructure, you know, infrastructure as knowing our every road in Wyoming. So we had an advantage, but that was a 100-mile diversion that we had to take, which cost me over $200 extra fuel that yeah. I had to take. Now, with the rates the way they are in trucking right now in the market, you're scrambling for every bit of profitability. And I know this isn't anybody's problem, but it does come back to your problem because when I have to pay, you're going to have to pay. It's going to cost more for commerce and more for commodities to come into Wyoming. And you're going to see your shelves empty, and that's happening because we can't get in past closed highways. I remember last year my my brother's a pharmacist and he was talking about they couldn't get drugs delivered. That's right. And and other things like that. And your company does not pay taxes. Now they do. But you don't pay them. You pass those on through the expenses and my my point is I that do pay taxes. <laughs> my, I pay state, my point is that anybody and... <laughs> that anybody that buys any product that you have hauled is effectively paying those taxes because you have to pass those costs on. You can't eat it. There's no margin, so you have to pass those on. So when we increase the cost of delivering materials. That causes inflation. That means that when you go to the grocery store and you buy something that's been trucked in, it's going to be more expensive because it's more expensive to get it there, if you can even get it there. Right. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, there is a market. I'm going to say you're halfway right. When you're in the freight market, mm-hmm. there is what they call a there. There is a standard market rate, and there's a lot of factors involved that people don't know that hidden aspect of it. Although I would like to say, yeah, 
as an independent. There's contracts, there's shipper direct. Basically, it's a it's a almost an organizational crime sometimes because you get freight brokers and freight haulers that are and I'm not talking about trucking. They're they're the brokerage side of the and there's a lot of fraud happening now with the way that the government has let in these pilot programs from third world country people coming in and we can go into a lot of that at another time but that affects our dollar that affects the cost being passed down and we're actually can only go within a a state let's say Wyoming if I was looking for a load to go in and out of Wyoming Wyoming is a lower paid state to get in and out I would say 75 percent of the companies are not coming to Wyoming because they can't get out there's no freight to get. You can get in, but you can't get out. Right. Colorado, Utah, all of our bordering states, they don't have, they have a one way in, but no way out. And if you do get something to come out, it's a very low rate. Mm-hmm. So half the time, it's just barely enough to pay our fuel. Right. So there is a lot of things that are in that whole spin, and it's a tight market and everybody wants their cut. And this is what's really hard for people to understand, that the, we've got enough government choke down with enough rules and regulations on the books right now that have been throughout time in history for transportation. But when you start getting individual states wanting to input more gouging for more income because they're lost their budget, or they didn't manage their money and they want to inflate our cost of doing business or bringing commodities in here that we're not going to come here. It's hard enough being a Wyoming based yeah. company to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, all kinds of challenges on that side of that spectrum. So, I would like to say is that if we have to balance our budget, in our business as business people, then I think that what we are willing to give YDOT, that they would be responsible and balance their budget correctly and not throw our IFTA infrastructure and money away for roads that we want good roads and that they manage their monies for projects accordingly and not throw them away for, why don't they talk to truckers? The governor didn't add anybody on that diesel um, panel. There was not one person from the trucking industry. It was all inner office people. Mm-hmm. And other states gave us breaks, but our own state didn't give us a tax holiday when we were looking at $6 a uh, gallon diesel fuel. We didn't get anything from our state. So we're about out of time. Yeah. I know we've got a lot of other topics, so we'll have to have you back to to talk about some of those other things. Is there maybe one other thing that just sticks out in your mind that you really want to get off your chest, so to speak? One of the things I want to say, if if Wyoming, in all the bills that I'm reading, your people you are on your panels with, mm-hmm. representatives and senators, if they're so worried about ESG, uh, job creation, jobs sustainability um 
retaining uh, qualified drivers, which they made a point of, you know, they can't even get state people, you know, plow drivers. Perhaps maybe they should get a panel without chastising us, get a panel of a of interstate drivers to sit down and before they create more of these schools and and programs that an excessive overreach that perhaps maybe they would have like what you're doing. I, 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 it's not really getting it off my chest. I actually am very happy that we also have a representative on YDOT that is actually reaching out to mm-hmm. seek people like me to make me feel comfortable to do something like this. There's some amenity of not having my face on. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, we appreciate that. We're yeah. more willing to talk. I bet you if I was to take you and put you in a group with some of my um, people, they would feel comfortable and wouldn't mind sitting down in a town hall meeting with you. And in up here in Sheridan, not down in Gillette, not down yeah. in Sundance. Because yeah. when, when you're putting things in far off areas, um, in Wyoming, you have to realize we're working people. We're not around. Right. And and you're taking time and uh, for us to additionally take away from our business, which we can do it remotely, but, you know, but still time is money. In the trucking industry, if those wheels aren't turning, you ain't making money. Oh, you're actually losing it. You're losing <laughs> there's, money. There's no static. Right. Yeah. It's you're You're talking about a... liability of that truck and payments and, and the cost of that equipment. And that's the other thing, 18 year olds putting them in a rig. That's a lot of money putting them in it. Yeah. I, I can relate to that. I can remember dispatching kids to drive literally nuclear warheads (laughs) And thinking about the gravity of what if something goes wrong, I'm just going to disappear. <laughs> Nobody will ever find me. But anyway, I do thank you for being here. I uh, look forward to having you come back. And perhaps we should put together a panel, as you've suggested. I'm more than glad to do that. Um, I thank you for the compliment of trying to make you feel comfortable. I do that. That's I know. what thank I try you. to do. Um, and I want to be fair. And I want to do a good job on the transportation committee and a good job as a legislator. And I think this is part of what that's about. So thank you for being here and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Ken. Thank you.